Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, everyone. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the audience. Uh, we appreciate all of you. We appreciate our, our own fathers, and those who are still with us and those who are no longer. But uh, they have all been such powerful influences in our lives. And boy, how instructive it is for us that Scripture teaches us to think of God as our Heavenly Father. And what a blessing that is to know that we have this kind of father watching over us always. January 31st, in the year 2000, Alaska Airlines flight number 261 was flying off the coast of the Channel Islands near the California coast. It suddenly turned downward and plunged directly into the sea killing all 88 people on board. Investigators were able to recover most of the wreckage and they discovered very quickly the cause of the mishap. It was in the horizontal stabilizer, which is on the tail section, and it was a two-foot piece called a jack screw that had not been properly inspected and the wear in it detected and so it malfunctioned and it caused those flaps on that stabilizer to go downward and forcing the plane into a downward dive from which the pilots could not pull it out. I looked it up to see the size of an MD-83. An MD-83 would seat about as many people as are in this room, or at least as many chairs are in, in this room. It's a big plane. Jack screws two feet long. A two feet long, two foot long piece caused that destruction of that entire airliner and everybody on board. And when we read James 3, James says our tongues are like that. He says they are like the bits that we put into the mouths of horses. The bit is not very big. The horse can be enormous, but the bit determines which way the horse goes. Compared to the size of an ocean liner, or a huge freighter vessel, the rudder is insignificant in size. And yet it's the rudder that determines the direction of the ship. And James says that our tongues, though they are a small member, a small part of our bodies, determine very much the direction of our lives. Because if they are unbridled, James says, in other words, out of control, then they negate our faith and they can wreck us spiritually. If you look back to James chapter 1 and verse 26, he said this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I want to say that again so we'll not forget it. If anyone thinks he's religious but doesn't control his tongue, he deceives his heart, and this person's religion is worthless. In other words, if your tongue is out of control and you're saying things that you shouldn't say, then you can't pray enough, you can't sing enough, you can't give enough, you can't attend enough, you can't do anything enough to make your religion acceptable before God. Last week, we saw the connection between the tongue and the heart. 
and saw that a tongue out of control reveals a heart that's not right with God. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. It's what's in our hearts that overflows in our words. And then in verses 5 and 6 in James 3, James has another illustration of the tongue's power. He says the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. You know, in the wrong place, there's not many things we fear more than fire, is there? We don't want a fire in our homes. We don't want a fire in our automobiles. We don't want a fire when we're in a hotel. We don't, we don't want a fire in our children's schools. We don't want fire because fire is so destructive. There aren't many things as destructive as a fire. Why does James say that our tongues are like fire? Why does he say that the tongue is a fire? One reason is because our words can burn like fire. They can burn other people just like fire. I appreciated Sherry Wade sent me this week a little saying. She sent it by text saying that she was looking forward to the message today. And this little saying says, the tongue has no bone, but it can break a heart. It has no bone, but it can break a heart. Our tongues can lift up or our tongues can destroy. Our tongues can build up or our tongues can ruin. So many times our tongues are used to scald people with our words. And James gives several examples. As a matter of fact, there are so many scattered throughout the letter that you get the impression that James knew that the misuse of the tongue was a problem among the people to whom he was writing. Either that or he just knew that the misuse of the tongue is a problem among people. Because what he says here, he says, applies to all. First of all, it, those words uh, in James chapter 2 about the two men who come into the worship assembly on the same day. One of them, he says, is a rich man who comes in in fine clothing and he's got on gold rings and he's, he's obviously rich. And, and you pay attention to him, James says. And you escort him to a good seat and you say, here, sit here, please. You know, you give him the best seat. I've always said that's the seat right next to the preacher, but I don't know if that's right or not. But <laughs> you say to the rich man, here, have a, have a seat here. But then a, a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, he says. The Greek word means filthy. He's obviously poor. And you say to that man, well, here, you just sit over there or sit on the floor or sit at my feet. Can you imagine the humiliation of somebody being treated that way? Can you imagine the humiliation of words like that, telling somebody to sit at your feet? Maybe we would never actually say that to somebody, but we might say something else. It might be equally as humiliating. One of the sad things about our world today is how commonplace are racial slurs and name callings and put downs. Trash talking is just the way a lot of people talk. It's just trash because it's designed to put other people down. And anything that demeans the value of another person is wrong. In James 5, 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Don't grumble. Don't be grousing against one another. Don't be complaining about one another, he says, so that you will not be judged. If you want an illustration of that, that, go back and read the book of Exodus and read the book of Numbers and see what happened to the people of Israel when they grumbled when they were in the wilderness. And they did it a lot. And it cost them dearly. God judged them for it. 
He created division and disunity among them. And he created a division between them and God to the extent that God judged them for their grumbling. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 in James, he says, Do not speak ill against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. If you speak evil against your brother, he says you're judging the law. Why is that? Because the law says don't do that. And so if you do that anyway, then you are saying that law doesn't count. That law doesn't apply to me. I'm above that law. You're speaking ill of that portion of God's law, that portion of his word. That's the reason why Paul said in Romans 1, 28 and 29, or really 28 through 32, that there are certain things that just not, ought not to be a part of the Christian's personality, that they are part of the personalities of the world, the unbelieving world, the godless world. He lists gossips and slanderers right along with those who are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and people who hate God. You go read it for yourself. And he does not say, now here's some major sins, and here's some lesser sins. He just lumps them all in there together. And he says that people who gossip and slander other people are in the same category as people who hate God and who practice maliciousness and who practice murder and who are full of envy. That's how serious a sin this is. We treat it lightly. We sometimes act as if it's just to be expected. We sometimes act as though it's just part of the personality of some people, and we just have to let it slide. But the truth is, that's not the case at all. It is a serious sin. Burning others with your tongue is not a minor thing. Another reason why James likens the tongue to fire is because it burns the one who speaks evil of others. It doesn't just burn the one at whom the words are directed, as Proverbs said, who aims their words like arrows. It, it burns the person who speaks those words. It's destructive of both. Proverbs 11, verse 12 says, He who belittles his neighbor lacks sense. He who belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Why? Why is it that someone who belittles his neighbor is lacking in sense? Because those words can well backfire on you. They may come back on you at some point. When you speak against others, you're playing with fire, and those words may come back to haunt you, if not worse. Because if that kind of practice is persistent, it ruins your relationship with God, as James has already said. And as we also find uh, in Psalms 101 and verse 5, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy, God says. So it's not only the one you're speaking about, it's the one who's doing the speaking that gets burned when the tongue is misused. Misusing the tongue ruins our relationships with other people. Proverbs 11 verse 13 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. The trustworthy keep things covered. Everyone with any sense knows that a person who slanders other people to you will slander you to other people. 
everyone who's thought about it knows that if someone will gossip to you about somebody else, they'll gossip about you, gossip to them about you. He who uses his, misuses his tongue lacks sense in speaking evil of others. Misuse your tongue, and those you attack will not be the only ones who get burned. Here's another reason why he likens the tongue to fire. Because the damage that's done spreads like fire. I don't remember how old I was. I was probably 13, 14 years old, but I went out to, to do one of my daily chores, and that was to take the garbage out, take the trash out. And, and back in those days, we burned it, small town. We burned it in a 55-gallon drum out in the back of the house in the alleyway. And you just dumped everything in there, lit a match, threw it in, let it go. I always thought it was kind of fun, really. I've always had a little bit of that, uh, you know, fire bug in me. But uh, that was one part of it I didn't really mind. Well, one day I go out there and I dump the trash in. I'd strike the match, throw it in, turn around, walk back in the house, not thinking about it. Not long after that, my mother says, what's that burning outside? Well, it turned out that the wind had picked up a bit of burning paper and blown it out onto the grass. Now, in that part of Texas where we live, the grass is always burnable. <laughs> it's always burnable. And it quickly caught fire, and the wind kept blowing it, and it blew it toward our old shed that we had out in the back. And this was an, just an old wooden shed that was unpainted wood, old, old. The house was 100 years old. No telling how old the shed was. And as soon as that fire hit that shed, it just went up like a Roman candle. Plus, it had paint on the inside of it and cans. So we had quite the fire, and, and I was just thankful that the wind hadn't blown it toward the house. You know, that all started with one match. That all started with one match. And before it was all over, half our yard and our shed was burned up. Nobody intended that. I didn't intend that. My mother didn't intend Nobody intended that, but that's what happened. Just one match caused the destruction of all of that. Could have cost us the house. And that's the way misusing our tongues is. The damage done spreads like fire. James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. If you want to know how dangerous the tongue is, just think about that last phrase. The tongue is set on fire by hell. The destruction that is done by misusing our tongues comes straight from hell. And it spreads like wildfire and does all kinds of damage. It's such a small member, that it, but it does so much harm. And he says, notice, it's set among our members. You know, the Bible uses the word member in a lot of different senses. Very often, Paul will talk about our members, meaning that at using the illustration of a physical body to illustrate the makeup of the church. And I wonder when James says that it, it stains the whole body, is he talking about the body of the speaker or is he talking about the body of Christ? Is he talking about the church? 
Is that one way that Satan works to bring about destruction among the people of God? Is loose tongues. A thoughtless remark, an unjust criticism, an angry reply in lives, homes, relationships, even churches can go up in flames. Tongues are not just fire. James says they're restless evil, full of deadly poison. James surely must have cut his teeth on Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So how do we go about controlling our tongues so that we don't burn other people in our cells? How do we go about taming this fire? Now you notice, first of all, that James says nobody can do it. You might think, well, this is a useless discussion, <laughs> but we have to do it. Nobody can do it perfectly. Nobody can do it absolutely. That's how difficult it is. We'll talk about why in just a minute. That's how difficult it is. And yet it, all, it applies to all of us because we all have the same difficulty at one time or another. But how do we tame it? How do we control it? Let me offer you some suggestions. One is before you say something negative about someone else, ask yourself, why am I saying this? Why am I saying it? Why am I telling this to somebody else? Or why am I saying this to this person if I know that it's likely to be hurtful? Is there any real reason to say it? Is it going to help or is it likely to hurt? Now that applies to whether or not what you're going to say is true or not. I spoke on this one time years ago and we lived in Texas and we had a dear old sister in the congregation and she was known for her sharp tongue and she stopped on the way out and she looked at me and she said, if you say something to some, about somebody and it's true, is it still gossip? Is it gossip if it's true? And I said, well, I guess that depends on the reason you're saying it. She glared at me and walked away. She didn't want to hear that. But that is the question. Why are we saying what we say? A lot of things are true, but they still don't need to be said. Remember, everything we say needs to be true, but not everything that's true has to be said, right? Not everything that's true needs to be said. So truth or not is not the question. Motivation is the question. And let me tell you about a subtle form of gossip that often comes up in churches. Someone will have a bit of information about somebody else, and so they'll want to tell it to somebody, but they don't want to sound like a gossip. And so they say, I've got something I need to tell you about so you can pray about it. And then they tell you something slanderous so you can pray about it. That's just gossip in disguise. That's just slander in sheep's clothing. That's all it is. If you know something bad about somebody, you know something embarrassing about somebody, you know something that somebody has done that they shouldn't have done, if you know something of that nature, then go tell that person about it or be quiet. Don't go tell somebody else to pray about it. You pray about it. Or better yet, go talk to the person involved. Chances are you'll find that you won't have nearly so much to say. Proverbs 26 and verse 20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. 
where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Refuse to be the whisperer. Let the fire go out with you. Let it die right there. Refuse to spread the flame any further. Suggestion number two, when somebody starts to tell you something that sounds like gossip, stop them and tell them you don't want to hear it. If you really want to shut down a gossip or a slanderer, that's the best thing in the world to do. Just say, excuse me, I, I think what you're about to tell me, I don't really need to know. I'd rather not hear it. I'd rather not know what it is I think you're about to say. I want you to listen to Proverbs 17, verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Did you hear that? It didn't say an evildoer speaks with wicked lips. It says an evildoer listens to wicked lips. And a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Did you know it's just as wrong to listen to gossip as it is to tell it? It's just as wrong to provide a sounding board for slander as it is to be the slanderer. That's what Proverbs 17.4 says. It's wicked. It's evil. It is deceptive. When you tell somebody you don't want to hear what they have to say because it's negative about somebody else, you're not only protecting yourself, you may actually be doing them a favor because they may not realize that what they're saying is potentially destructive. Help them by just saying no. If their intent is not good, they don't want to hear it. They won't like it. You can count on that but simply refuse to be a sounding board. Declare yourself to be a no-gossip zone. Declare yourself to be a no-slander zone. Let's declare the Glen Allen Church to be a no-gossip, no-slander zone. That we simply don't want to hear it. We're not going to do that. And it won't take very long of telling people when they're slandering and gossiping, I don't want to hear it, and then they won't want to say it. And that's exactly what needs to happen. Also, another suggestion, remember who you are, and above all, remember whose you are. Remember who you are, and remember whose you are. James talks about this in chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. After he describes the tongue as a restless evil, full of deadly poison, he says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. With the same tongue, he says, we bless God. We, we sing, how great thou art. And then we turn around and rip each other's shreds. He says, this ought not to be so. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? No. That never happens. That never happens. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear uh, Grapes, can a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. You know what happens if you try to mix salt water and fresh water? You get salt water. Don't be a salt pond because you can't get any fresh, helpful, wholesome water out of a salt pond. We've got to remember whose we are. He says, my brothers, this ought not to be so. 
Because it's not fit for a follower of Jesus to be praising God and speaking evil of one another with the same tongue. You remember 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 25. Peter talks about Jesus. He says, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he talks about Jesus when he was reviled, did not revile in return. He's talking about when he was on the cross. And they were mocking him and spitting at him and, and doing everything they could to insult him. When they threatened him, he didn't threaten in return. When they reviled him, he didn't revile back. When they, they said hateful and ugly things to them, Can't, don't you just know, being nailed on that cross, the things that he could have said... The things that any of us would want to say, but he didn't. He just trusted God, Peter says. And if that's the example that Jesus set, then we who claim to follow the one who died that way surely can learn to control our tongues. So here's kind of a summation. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it. Be careful to whom you say it. What you say, does it need to be said? How you say it. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The way you speak to someone can make all the difference in the world. And then to whom you say it. You know, the sad truth is some people can't be trusted not to tell everything they know. They just can't. They don't have any filters. They don't have any restraint. So anything they know, they're going to tell. So you need to be proactive and protective and realize that there are some people that you just can't tell some things to. You may need to unburden yourself to somebody. You may need to share something with somebody, but be careful. Be careful that you're not unburdening yourself to somebody who's going to turn around and use it for gossip. If you find yourself not certain whether you should say something or not, don't. Very seldom will you ever be sorry you didn't say something negative or critical or harsh. But many, many times you will be thankful that you did not. So be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it. Be careful to whom you say it. James 3, verses 7 and 8. No human being can tame the tongue. Nobody ever does it completely. We mentioned that earlier. Why? Why can't we tame our tongues? Why, aren't, why can't we be that perfect man that James talks about? Able to bridle the whole body also. He said, if you can get the tongue under control, you can control anything. At least about your life. Why is it so hard with the tongue? Jeremiah 17, verses 17 and following tells us why. Here's what Jeremiah says, what God says through Jeremiah. The heart, he says, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, the problem again is the heart. The heart is deceitful. The heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then he answers his own question. 
I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. We had that problem with our tongues because of the deceitfulness and sickness of our hearts. But God tests that very heart. We better learn to get it right. You know what Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, tells me more than anything? It tells me how very much we all need a Savior. Because we can't get everything right. We can't get it perfect. Try as we might, and we must try, because God will hold us accountable if we do not. But we must have a Savior. We must have someone who bears our sins for us, who carries our iniquities, someone who has suffered and died in our place so that we can have life. We have that Savior. You have that Savior. Have you let him save you? Have you let him rescue you? Have you let him redeem you from the power of the flesh and from a future without God? If you haven't, we urge you today, we beg you today to put your trust in Christ and to confess his name and be baptized into him, to live your life for him, and to spend every day seeking to be that person that God has called you to be. If you're ready to start that journey today, God's ready to receive you. You need that Savior, and he has come. So we encourage you to come to him while we stand together and sing.